Welcome to the Group Dynamics Dispatch, the official podcast of the Four Corners Group Psychotherapy Society. I'm your host, Angelo Siliberti, and in this 50-minute hour, we will be featuring guests that use dynamic thinking and therapeutic interventions to bring about growth through group process. It's our hope that in listening to the podcast, you may just be inspired to think more deeply about your own experience in groups, as well as to hear what makes great group leaders tick. If you'd like to support the show, we would encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes. Also, check out our social media pages at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any feedback for the podcast or ideas for featured guests, subjects, or panels, please feel free to email us at podcast at fcgps.org. We really appreciate your listening and support and hope to see you at one of our events soon. So I'm your host, Angelo, broadcasting from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, and I'm inviting you to pull up a seat, lend an ear, and hear about what's happening in the ever-evolving circle of group dynamics. Well, today on the Group Dynamics Dispatch, we are really excited to have on Jordan Price. Hey. Hey, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Jordan Price is a psychotherapist with a private practice in Austin, Texas. He specializes in group, individual, and couples therapy. He is a graduate of the Center for Group Studies in New York City and actively engages in training and growth. Jordan is the author of the article, Into the Wild, Working with Preverbal Experiences in Group, published in the International Journal of Group Psychotherapy. He is also an upcoming presenter at AGPA Connect, where he will be speaking at the Friday morning open session entitled, Forming and Maintaining the Modern Analytic Practitioner. He and I will also be co-presenting together a workshop in March in Boulder, Colorado, entitled Entering the Early Unknown, Sensing When to Speak and Be Silent as a Psychotherapist. We will then be co-presenting again together in April for Austin Group Psychotherapy Society. Finally, he will be presenting this summer at the Creativity and Madness Conference in Santa Fe. Jordan leads an ongoing training group for clinicians interested in knowing more about themselves as people and practitioners. He continues to train with an emphasis on the coupling of affect regulation and psychoanalytic approaches. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. Well, it's an honor to have you. We're really looking forward to doing this interview with you. And typically, the way we like to start the podcast is to hear more about you and your story of getting into this field and into the world of group psychotherapy in particular. Hmm. Um, you know, I would like to have some kind of uh, pithy description for that that showed me on some uh, uh, narrow and intentional path. But I really feel like I kind of just, uh, in a more of a, a sensing way, so to speak, fell into it. Um, I uh, I kind of uh, made my way from undergraduate social studies work into a grad grad program in geography, and it didn't stick for me. And uh, I I backed out of there and start after finishing that out of that as a possible career and started playing music and doing all sorts of uh, things, bartending and and, uh, talking to people. And um, I found my way into teaching. And I noticed that at the end of class in public school, uh, I really just looked forward to the end of the day when all these kids would come in, especially the ones that were looking for connection. They would come in and just hover in my room. And I remember thinking, boy, I really wish I knew what the hell I was doing talking to these kids. 
Um, but I really, it, it ignited uh, some kind of elemental excitement in me and uh, propelled me to go back to graduate school. And from there, really in grad school, my internships and afterwards, I just continuously found myself connecting to people unbeknownst to myself who were group folks. And uh, by the time I was a couple years into my own practice, uh, my cohort were group folks. Uh, all uh, I kind of had been doing it longer than me. And it just, it, it's been wonderful to grow with them and find myself uh, really kind of um, engaged in the group world here in Austin and, and, and larger than that now. And it just, it resonates with me on a really deep level and a clinical level. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like from the very beginning, it was about connection for you. And there's yeah. a way you'd be talking to these kids and realizing that in order to reach them on a deeper level or to be able to respond more skillfully, you wanted to find some of your own tools. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I thought, I don't want to teach school. I want to sit with people. Yeah. You know, that's what was really moving me at the end of the day. I mean, I did not like making lesson plans, but I love listening to these kids tell me about themselves, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. And then unconsciously, it almost seems like you just got into the group world. It was just surrounding you. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, really, it feels like an unconscious draw, you know, me to them, them to me. Uh, we all connected and uh, much like a good group, it insulated me and, uh, and challenged me to uh, continue to grow in that way and get more attached to, mm -hmm. the, to the group world, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, do you, what do you think it was about the group experience that uh, called to you in that kind of way or, or resonated with you on that level? Well, that's a great question, man. And I got to say, like, there's part, there's ways that I can be very driven and intentional. And, uh, and then I would say, though, that the, the less secure parts of me, the parts that uh, would shy away from the spotlight, so to speak, really benefited from being able to sit in a group and feel the feelings and, and work in parallel to other people who were maybe a little more courageous uh, early on than I was. And, uh, had learned to tolerate some of their insecurities in ways that I hadn't yet learned to tolerate. Uh, so it was the, the individual hour was too stimulating in some ways to really bring it. And so the group allowed me to kind of work in tandem with folks until I was ready to emerge more fully myself in the therapy uh, experience and be um, more vulnerable. Yeah, it was, it was scaffolding for me. Well, it makes me think about um, the impact of different holding environments. Mm -hmm. And that the individual setting is is one kind of context for us. And then the group setting is a very different one where we get to work on different aspects of ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even uh, looking back now, it's still remarkable at each group experience of some sort or another to reflect back now and to realize uh, as things come into my conscious mind, how they were being held and uh, integrated even back then when I I didn't have any occurring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so as a group leaders, uh, people in the groups, general experiences of the group, and then going home to family and the movement back and forth, it, there was so much therapeutic benefit to engaging in the group world. It um, each... Uh, maturational juncture for myself, I'm able to understand how powerful it's actually for me. Right. Well, it reminds me of, uh, in order to be really effective, I think it's so helpful for us as group leaders to have had the experience ourselves 
of yes. regressing in those different kinds of formats and then it gets uh inside of us differently yes yeah it's cellular it's cellular it's, the, uh, it's yeah it's the re- <laughs> my bones were more brittle before i work in a group you know they've they're a little they're sturdier but they're a little they can tolerate more you know? mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. it's really it sinks all the way in you know yeah well, and uh, one of the things that I appreciate about you and your work is the the blending of um, both the visceral um, body-based experience of group as well as the cognitive and the, the theoretical and thinking about in order for us to be well-rounded clinicians, the ability to be able to access both. And I'd be yeah. curious to kind of hear about in your study, what are or who have been those theoreticians or group thinkers that have inspired you most in terms of your own individual and professional work? You know, um, I will have to make this an, uh, um, not even just interdisciplinary, but kind of um, interprofessional, so to speak, because uh, that, that cascades across the different interests of mine, uh, the people uh, that inspire me on a on a visceral and thoughtful level simultaneously um i would say uh, early in life um that was music now doors for me um and then uh, as i progressed it became uh, you know mentors and then now it's more honed into psychoanalytic theoreticians and practitioners and my own mentors as uh, my own therapists really but uh the people that really resonate with me that way and musically, I think about, you know, the people who are kind of guttural and thoughtful, uh, Dylan and Springsteen and from the older guard, uh, people that I can listen to and study uh, musically, um, along with the same with the folks that I bond with in the natural world, the outdoors world, the hands in the earth. Michael Pollan and the way that he writes about um, the visceral nature of, of the process of food and your body and the elements uh, really resonates with me. Um, as does a, a particular uh, hunter from your neck of the woods uh, out in the West, this guy named Nate Simmons, who's a editor uh, and a, a writer and also a backcountry, uh, very uh, ethically driven hunter who, um, is it poetically writes about the connection of the unknown and uh, and tolerating uh, disappointments and losses and still being in the uh, experience that you can't control but participating in it and uh, those those guys really resonate for me in the same ways that uh, Winnicott as a theoretician uh resonates for me and thomas ogden is another one that uh, has always kind of uh, been hovering in my in my mind as as an auxiliary ego so to speak uh and an auxiliary set of organs uh, Mm -hmm. as a way to (laughs) as a way to really be uh while thinking uh, which is the really the crux of it all right Mm -hmm. as a clinician yeah well, and I was, uh, what was coming to mind is the vantage point on the human experience from all of these different angles, the vantage point of it from the standpoint of being a musician like Dylan or Springsteen and the way that they articulate experience, the, uh, the feelings that just go along with um, the human experience all the way through the hunters into the psychoanalyst. It's a phenomenal breadth that you draw on. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It feels natural, you know, like uh, it feels like breathing. Uh-huh. Um, just the things that touch me. Uh, and, uh, you know, you and I talk about these kind of things. Uh, 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 the things that, that move into you, that you experience, that really help you uh, kind of see past the veil um, of uh, what you're doing and, and uh, embody it. And um, to reflect at the same time that you're embodying something that deep is remarkable and uh, hopefully will continue to um, develop ability to do that. And, and I think the group world is really, uh, it's where I have found the home for sitting, feeling, thinking, uh, being, challenging all, all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's dy- and its dynamism is, is unmatched to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I, I get the sense that all of these threads kind of come together in the article that you wrote, which I really, really enjoyed, in, uh, Into the Wild, Working with Preverbal Experiences in Group. Um, it seems like the central thesis of the article really has to do with how group analysts work with implicit experiences in those dimensions. Uh, I think, as you say, before words and symbolization are available to manage distress. Mm-hmm. something very early about the experience of being in group and working with our responses in the moment to ourselves and to other people on a feeling cellular level. And then the group analyst's ability to attune to and to respond to that, to be in a kind of deep emotional resonance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's ideal. <laughs> uh you know that yeah i'm i'm glad you like the paper and um it's interesting because even the process of writing the paper and then submitting it for editing the first section of the paper which is really subjective and sets the tone for uh closing your eyes and experiencing so to speak in the woods um they 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 I sent it in it was about eight pages that first section and they they were like, we like it. Make it half a page. Uh, so it, <laughs> it was interesting to condense it because the experience felt so big. But there's some way that uh, uh, with music or uh, uh, the outdoors for me or walking into it feels similar to walking into a group, either as a member or a leader, and just sitting um, and trying, trying anyway uh, to turn off the typical mechanisms and instruments that I use day to day walking around uh, my eyes, my ears, you know, my hands, uh, uh, my think, my thought processes that organize things into helpful categorical bins that allow me to go to sleep or go to the grocery store or whatever without having a panic attack um, is to attempt to turn those off, like uh, turning off the lights um, and, and what other mechanisms and bodily experiences are waiting there for us to uh, touch those around us, to sense what's around us when we don't uh, reach up and turn on the light at the first fear of the dark, but to allow it to exist and to tolerate it and sit in it and see where it takes us. Um, that's uh, the paper really is that's at the core of the paper. And, uh, hopefully at the core of the way I, I attempt to work. Mm-hmm. Really kind of addressing different ways of knowing, different ways of sensing, different ways of experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, you know, our, our, the world we live in today, there's so many, you can just pick up your phone, check the time, the weather, you can turn the lights on and off with a flick of a hand. 
you can you have control, so to speak. It's a it's a pseudo control. Um, sometimes I like to imagine what would actually happen if the satellites powered down, the electricity went off, and your phone didn't fucking work. Then what do you do? You know, like how do you? <laughs> when it, what would you feel? How would it be if all those uh, all those things that we rely on, the material goods, just disappeared? Um, in some way, that that's uh, walking in and sitting in a group. If we can. Uh, um, be with that potential experience in the room. If you remove the ways you typically network and know things, uh, how do you feel what's in the room? I really think uh, we get more in tune when that happens with those very early life implicit experiences that just exist uh, and are, are ahead of us and under us and behind us all the time, even when we're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the regressive power of group, which is, I think, something that you speak to and the willingness on our parts to be willing to regress mm-hmm. into those very early parts of even the brain. And I was thinking about and wondering about when we are sensing or experiencing the world in that kind of way, how we may have the opportunity to bypass some of our procedural patterns, as well as to kind of work on a very deep level with a new experience that can um, Kind of germinate into uh, another way of being, another way of being with ourselves, with our groups, and with our clients. Yeah, just as you're saying this right now, um, I can feel some anxiety because it's making me uh, remember joining uh, one, uh, joining a particular therapy group that that worked, and um, I remember entering the group excited ready to work on things so you know and progress and and um whatever the forces were in the group that now looking back i'm more clear on but i I probably spent the first six months of that group in a regress state not knowing what was happening and uh really having to rely on the group uh, and group leader for sustenance containment um it transported back to to a very rest space that hadn't hadn't been touched enough, um, and or, and and it alerted me that that point for me I hadn't been touched enough, held enough. Uh, so it was a really powerful experience, and I needed the group. I don't know what would have happened if that had been an individual experience. Uh, I really needed the group to to contain me and hold me in that space. And it, it has, over the years, become one of the most powerful uh, movements from regression to progression in mm-hmm. my therapeutic uh, catalog. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know where else that happens. You know? um, actually be organized with, we were talking about earlier, that level of regressive uh, emotional experience and then have the organizing thought to go with it as it's dosed appropriately to integrate. Uh, me, whoever's in the group, right? Right. It's a couple process. Well, it makes me also think about just one of the things that I remember struck me so vividly about being in group is, uh, and, and clients even now speak to it, it's one of the very few places where you're in a space with other people and people are not reaching for their phones. People are, are kind of reaching for um, different technological experiences to pull them up out of their anxiety. So, uh, so be, you know, the, the visceral quality of being in a room with other people, experiencing the anxiety of uh, whether to speak or not speak, to connect, to wonder how people are experiencing oneself, 
even desires mm-hmm. to disconnect or not connect with other people. And there's no escape. Yes, yes. There's no escape. It's <laughs> fantastic. The only way to manage the experience is in words. That's right. Uh, yeah, or sitting at bond, the the, uh, the holding energy of the group, allowing you to tolerate while the clock moves slower and slower towards the end of the session. And that's know? right. <laughs> <laughs> the more anxious you are, really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'd be curious because one of the things that I'm really interested in is is um, how we as clinicians, how how the clinical experience gets translated into the written experience. Uh. Um, I recently read an article by Thomas Ogden on psychoanalytic writing where he kind of talks about and he he teases apart these different things. And it made me curious both what inspired you to write this article as well as what was the process like for you of writing the article? Mm. Uh, The conscious conscious, uh, beginning uh, to write the article was um, much less interesting than what I discovered was propelling me. So, I mean, it was as simple as, you know, I like to write, um, it's time to try to write an article and get something out there. Uh, what the hell am I going to write about? And I generated about 10 different ideas that I thought were interesting. And then my wife said, that one's interesting. <laughs> the other ones, maybe not so much. The good editing started that. And then, um, so it was uh, uh, maybe it's something she knew about me unconsciously was to propel me toward the thing I knew the least about and could speak the least clearly about, but seemed the most tantalizing. Uh, then I got a, um, an editor paired uh, uh, paired with me by my group analyst. So this was a, a pairing of um, not just editor and writer, but this is a person who's uh, holding and pairing me with someone who's going to draw something larger out of me and help me organize it. Um, and I spent about two years writing, editing, rewriting, scrapping, writing, editing, rewriting, and conversing with uh, this editor uh, whose name's Ron, who is just a, a, a really fantastic intellect and editor, but also our conversations felt loose and unconscious and associative and uh, very free, which uh, enabled uh, this thing to kind of amoeba-like form into whatever it became. Uh, So it wasn't controlled, it just emerged uh, and became much more, uh, just like we were talking about with the groups, much more emotionally and unconsciously driven, but then organized into the language. And I would like to say, I could say specifically how that happened, but. I really think it formed organically through the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's obviously some intentionality to put feelings and experiences into words in an organized way if you want to write a paper. But um, it felt, once we got into it, it felt like, I don't know when it's going to be done. I don't even know what it's going to be when it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very happy with what it, you know, how it came out. and what. Uh, but the process of it has stayed with me and is now informing the way I do other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a way that that quality even gets transmitted in the article because um, I remember reading the article before I went to bed and I had very vivid dreams that night. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and so I think that uh, there's the, the article is evocative in the sense that there's something about that unconscious process that it seems like you and the mentor uh, were willing to go through yeah. that it invites the reader to go through a similar process. Oh, of association I'm, I'm, and it kind of entering the unknown in that kind of way. 
couldn't be happier if that's what occurs. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I also love is that you talk about your experience being a hunter. Uh-huh. And um, I wonder if you might say more about um, your experience hunting and overlaps that you see between the nonverbal implicit qualities of that experience and being a group leader. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think uh, I'd be curious how many people listen to this podcast hunt. Uh, it's probably a low number uh, in the therapy world anomaly, uh, at least a voice anomaly. I'd say that um, how I grew up hunting is very different than how I hunt now and how I didn't feel as processes that we're discovering, but much like regression into progression, I re- regressed so to speak, from a more um, categorical way of hunting and have continued to move in, in stripping away the instrumentation and the culture and have made it more and more me in the woods with uh, trying to participate with nature as it is because it's been there and it was there and it will be there long after I enter the woods and leave the woods. Um, so there's some way of uh, implicitly trying to move as a hunter um, uh, and exist with the, the herds of animals, the, uh, the grasses, the trees, the rocks, the geologic um, grounding that exists there and trying to, to sense and be a part of that uh, rather than go out with some particular task in mind and achieve it, pat myself on the back and walk out of the woods with a trophy, which I think is the general notion these days of hunting. Uh, it feels much more implicit. Um, uh, you know, in these days, I don't really care if I actually kill anything anymore. Uh, haven't hunted with a gun in over a decade. Um, I've moved to a bow and, um, I feel like that's much more attuned way to be in the woods, um, and be a part of it. And so these days it's still morphing how that experience is for me, just as I the implicit way that I'm uh, trying to be a group leader and work with people and in individual sessions continues to morph um, as I continue to feel and examine how I am in these environments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a way you describe being in those environments that sounds very embedded and very immersive. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a, you know, a, a kind of quality of uh, surrender to... Um, yes. Being Glad as you said that, yeah. What 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 does that spark in you? Well, that's the experience, and that word didn't cross my frontal lobe. I'm glad you said it because that's the feeling is uh, surrendering to and yeah. being with. It yes. feels like maybe the best articulation of that process. And then because after that, you don't know what the hell's going to happen. You know, <laughs> anything right. could happen. Yeah, it's just like group. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's and just it's, like group. Who the hell knows? Yeah. And everything will happen, <laughs> hopefully. Yes, and everything will happen. Yes, be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Visceral, embedded, surrendering, and then a being with. And then moving out of the group. It's after the group that I generally study it and think about it and go, what the hell happened today? And how yeah. do I want to enter it next week? Yes, yes. Yeah, much like the woods and right. hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, and it reminds me that um, there's something about being 
that embedded and that immersed where we're relying on instinct. And, uh, and I'm thinking about as a group leader being inside the group and things are moving uh, so quickly and that we're in a different part of our brain that we are responding on instinct. And kind of like you're saying, it's not until after the group that we're often able to sort of understand what we did, why we did it, why, uh, whether or not it was a skillful or unskillful, uh, skillful thing to do. It's just, um, uh, just being with and going with the experiences that unfolds. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And some of my least skillful moments are some of the most therapeutic ones, you know, uh-huh. There's no patting on the back. It was just an occurrence, you know, it's a, a, it happened. And I'm sure a lot of the theoretical study and training helps hone those unskillful moments. But those are the ones sometimes that are the most foundationally altering someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was thinking even about your experience in group earlier, where you talked about as a member being in such a regressed, anxious place in needing the presence of peers. And I often mm-hmm. get, get curious about the peers consciously and unconsciously that we walk into the group with as group leaders, both uh, supervisors, colleagues, mm. our, our own therapists or analysts, and yeah. writers, musicians. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious anybody come to mind that is with you when uh, you're in the the seat of a group leader? It is a a growing uh, internal group. (laughs) There's a number of folks in there these days. uh, And that's, that's feels like an entire other conversation. Who's there when? Yeah. But um, because I'm like, Oh gosh, where do I start? And then this answer, but uh, uh, I I would say um, the First and most consistent person that's there is my first and still friend and mentor, Carl, who is um, not even really a group guy, but he's a family guy. So there's plenty of overlap. And uh, he just ha- has an, uh, had a way of imbuing me with the freedom to screw it all up, repair it, own it. Working that, working that kind of, um, hey man, slow down and just exist in their way. And then he was also uh, his his office is a is a damn library. I mean, it's just all the way back to 1900. It's just it's incredible amount of thought and organized uh, um, papers and books on what we're doing. To so being in there with him knowing how much has been read and how much is there in writing. And then for him to say, quit thinking. Uh, it's just, he lives in there with me on a basis amongst mm-hmm. a lot of other folks as well. Uh, my group therapists are certainly in there with me as they work with me in parallel tandem intergenerational group parenting uh, and working with getting to watch them with me and others and uh, seeing how out plays out over years. And then uh, that, that imbuing me with the confidence to uh, dance in those ways in the group myself as an analyst and uh, mm-hmm. see, knowing that it, it'll go somewhere. Right. Go somewhere. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of uh, bringing in the, the lineage that we have uh, from the relationships that we yeah. have with people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The big family. It's a big family. And that makes me actually think about uh, the upcoming AGPA conference 
connect uh-huh. and yes. you're presenting on uh, Friday morning at the open session for um, uh-huh. the forming of a modern analytic practitioner. And I think you're presenting a different kind of paper. Isn't that right? I am. This is a, this was a wonderful opportunity, really. This um, actually the, the head of the panel is my, is my group therapist who, uh, so he'll be heading the panel writing about, um, some uh, primary element of early life for me and how it was at first a, a troubling, an obstruction, uh, something in my work as a clinician and how did I uh, use it, integrate it, overcome it, still struggle with it, make it therapeutic? What's my process around that? So mm-hmm. much in line with our conversation today, it's moving from a very knowing place and an urgency to know when the anxiety is high in the room uh, into a place of, um, through the use of music in my life, to a place of being to. The title of the paper is playing to the song, so to speak, because as a musician, I've had many opportunities to sit in with people not knowing the music uh, and sitting on stage instrument and waiting for the music to start and then being introduced to it at the same time that I'm supposed to begin playing with it. And so that process is embodied in me and stays with me often in my work too, especially these days when I notice the urgency that's born in my early life and family life to organize and know things quickly, Mm -hmm. which of course inevitably leaves people or the group behind. That's Mm -hmm. a a Jordan process, not a group process. But kind of leveraging your experience as a musician to be able to be spontaneous and to improvise? Yes. It's spontaneous and improvise with the music that's being played. Right. Uh, yeah, and never uh, or trying to play with it and to it rather than around it or on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in this open session, every year is one of my favorite things because it also it seems like uh, you're one panelist among others. And so there's, there's a, a group component to the presenting itself that goes on with the, with the panelists. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be curious, any thoughts or reflections that you've had about the past several months being a, a part of that particular panelist group and how that's influenced your experience of it? It's been rich. Um, I've loved it. Uh, I've been, uh, um, uh, not to give anything away, but just an acknowledgement to the different uh, depths and levels of the different papers and presenters that uh, coalesce together with our own group now. Um, that uh, really keeping the music in mind plays a full chord. Uh, there's some very deep notes, there's some nice, punchy mid range, and there's some analytic organized high-end melody in there and it really it plays together i think the three of us really play nicely together and it goes in a beautiful order kind of like a piece of music ought to an album so yeah like i'm very much looking yeah i'm looking forward to who's there as well uh in in the audience and as part of the larger group experience that day and how does that even affect the way i read or present or talk or embody myself that day. Mm-hmm. What particular jam emerges out of that experience? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm hoping for world music, man. World music. Yeah. 
<laughs> something to vibrate the spine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's definitely a presentation not to be missed. Uh, great. I'm, I'm hoping. And I was thinking that um, then from there, you're going to be coming to Boulder to yes. uh, co-present. We, you and I will be co-presenting together on this topic of sensing when to speak and when to be silent as a group leader, which yeah. is uh, something that it seems like in our relationship, you and I got to start talking about and realizing that it's really a point of interest that we have together, mm-hmm. how uh, those moments of trying to decide um, how best to intervene, how to respond based on sensing where a client is developmentally and where the group as a whole is developmentally. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious, anything that you may w- want to say about that presentation or um, how it's been for you to be um, engaged in this process and uh, thinking about those kind of terms of uh, group leadership? Well, uh, I'll start with an experiential experience that I've been having more more and less than the, um, um, or so to speak, but is that you and I are presenting in Boulder and then a month later, we're, we're going to present it again in my hometown of Austin. And I've been noticing my emotional anticipatory experience of presenting in your town and then in my town, because uh, my town emulates more of my family, so to speak. These are the people I train with, with no uh, office with. So it's, uh, it's fascinating to experience my own visceral anticipation of that. Versus I feel much looser and more uh, uh, at ease with presenting in bold. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But it'd be interesting how that presenting in Boulder with you integrates me for presenting in Austin as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's been that's for, forefront of my mind on this uh, is that experience. But I would also say the, what we've been talking about today is so often like uh, as a writer or a presenter is solo proposition um but you and i working together in tandem now for months and months around this pre-verbal experience has been really lovely for me uh in borrowing from you hopefully sharing uh, some impactful things back and forth that's uh, making this thing a richer piece of music a richer experience for us and then hopefully for them collaboration Absolutely. It, and it's it, on, a, on a personal level for me, it's reminded me of when I've presented solo before. And then when I've had an opportunity to co-present with somebody and I'm thinking about, um, and maybe there's a paper in there, because I think this would be very interesting for it to get talked more about. Mm-hmm. But the way when uh, you co-present with somebody, how there's an invitation to almost enter each other's unconscious minds. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking about how I've associated to you and your work more when I've been with clients and kind of thinking about or wondering, I wonder what Jordan would do here. I wonder what Jordan's thoughts or feelings may be about this. Yes. And so that's fantastic. Uh, it's a shared experience for sure. You're with me as well. Yeah. Yeah. So co-presenting, co-leading a group um, and just the ways that that impacts our nervous system and the ways that we end up thinking or feeling into a particular uh, kind of um, experience, clinical role. Yes, yes. I'm thrilled about it. 
frankly, thrilled about sharing it with you and doing the work together in that way and seeing how it goes. And, and somebody asked me, a colleague of mine, just this past week, have you and Angelo ever uh, co-led a group together? And I said, no. Uh, this person said, oh, so when you sit down to co-lead the demonstration group uh, on pre-verbal early life experiences, the two of you will be sitting down in an unknowing way as well. That's and right. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Entering the woods together. Yes. Entering the woods. And no I was also... Idea how this <laughs> totally. And I was thinking of uh, how you mentioned playing, playing to the song, that moment of um, being yeah. spontaneous and improvising to the music uh, that's already going on, which I think, as you mentioned, with um, the context of Boulder and then the context of Austin, um, those are very different uh, experiences. Those are very different immersive environments with different relationships in the room. Yes. Yes, Exactly. It, which will inform the way we sit together in each place, no doubt about it. Well, I'm looking forward to a lot of feedback, hopefully, from the group members and from the audience in terms of uh, what they notice consciously and unconsciously with us. Uh-huh. That's yeah. right. We're inst- you're, you're instilling that now to anyone listening. That's right. It's an invitation. To sit with us and, and then give us the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. I'm very excited. <laughs> Um, one of the things, though, that I would also love to hear you talk about, because um, I also am a big uh, Pink Floyd fan, is mm-hmm. the conference you're going to be doing at Creativity and Madness in Santa Fe and um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the bridging between music and psychoanalysis uh, that seems to be at the heart of that presentation. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a really the Creativity and Madness conference itself is just such a cool intersection for anyone who's into uh psychology of almost any branch and then art uh, it's a biopic that you're that you're presenting on and i picked a roger waters specifically out of pink floyd as well because he's the, he's the madman uh of course any diehards listening will say well sid barrett too but yeah but he was just a, an infant when he left so uh, roger waters carries that and to me really drove the um with his lyric in particular, drove and drives the unconscious transmissions of that band. They're all beautiful painters with instruments and voice and harmony. But Roger Waters is, uh, to me, the most pained of the group uh, and um, the most poetic and somehow um, elicits, and I think this is why so many people connect to their music, but elicits and invokes in us this very guttural, uh, oceanic um, and at the same time maddening kind of experience that I think early life is fraught with. These beautiful holding oxytocin laden nursing uh, in experiences and then also waking up in the dark in a crib and having no structures to understand where you are and the paranoia and the rage and the sadness and uh, the terror that would that's there and in your bones and cells. And that something about Roger Waters' music speaks to me in that way. Um, and um, so it's an opportunity to go and talk about him, talk about his early life experience and how it informed his music 
his uh, lyrics, and then I'm going to perform a couple of his songs that I think speak to some different flavors of his own personality and his personal madness that leads to his creativity. I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, it sounds incredible. Which songs yeah. will you be doing? I'm going to do well, the, 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 the Of Course song for the uh, um, uh, heartbroken, fatherless child is Wish You Were Here which he co-wrote with David Gilmour, but the lyrics are all Roger Waters. So it's his words. Um, so I'm going to uh, perform that song on, a, on an acoustic guitar that was actually made in 1948, which would be close to the time that Roger Waters was uh, feeling from uh, the earliest I Wish You Were Here's, uh, different than I think the interpretation on a romantic level. This is the, oh my God, I wish... Uh, the arms, the human self was here with me, my father, my mother, um, just that really deep aching loneliness and the uh, um, kind of the distancing summation of loss that he uses in those lyrics to kind of flick away the pain at the same time that you're feeling. It's really incredible. And then the other piece is, speaks more to the kind of grandiose, paranoid, self-indulging Eeyore parts of Roger Waters, uh, the song from the wall, Nobody Home, where he's uh, calling to his wife on the phone. And, but really, uh, it's an inner narrative of this, uh, this kind of um, self-thing, uh, pained person who's uh, drug-addled and uh, kind of grandiose and magical. Uh, and, and I think it's a two pieces converge to really paint a nice picture of his own brand of narcissism and, and hurt that's fueled a lot of his creativity. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I mean, it seems like such, <laughs> well, um, one of the things that I'm appreciating about it is the, uh, the invitation to experience psychotic states of mind. Yes. And, and how, <laughs> yeah, <that's it>. yeah. <laughs> and um, how common it is, I think, for all of us to want to avoid that, but also the, uh, the power and the creativity that yeah. can lie for us there. And it seems like uh, his music and his lyrics and his way of being uh, channels that, but also um, gives us the opportunity to kind of re-engage those parts of ourselves, to not shy away from them, but to invite and to re-engage those parts of ourselves in ways that lead to a better understanding of ourselves and an ability to be with other people at the primitive edges of their own mind. That is beautifully put, man. That is right on the nose. And, and um, I, yeah, I dare people to listen to uh, uh, 30 minutes of his music with your eyes closed without touching your phone and just see what happens. See where you uh, go. Absolutely and regressive and see where you go yes where your body where your body takes you mm -hmm. if you if you turn off your uh, your brain a bit yeah yeah remarkable well and in a lot of ways i think that that's a thread that's really uh woven through your work from um the article that we've been talking about to the presentation we're going to be doing um and then very explicitly in this conference for creativity and madness but I think that there is um, a way that you work that really does invite the, the full range of the human experience, um, including those parts that are shadowy, unknown, uh, serrated, 
um, and our willingness to uh, go there and experience them. It's, uh, it's a hell of an invitation. <laughs> I love that. Um, I hope that anyone who works with me feels that invitation. It's been, um, I would have to say, um, it's been the invitation to be there myself and my own path that really of experiencing those things myself that makes me so connected with it and hope to pass that on uh, mm -hmm. by staying open to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, and by way of invitation, I want to let the listeners know that we will be uh, putting a link to Into the Wild, working with preverbal experiences in group. Um, we'll put a link to this article in the show notes so that if anybody would uh, like the opportunity to uh, access it very easily, they can do that through the show notes, as well as to grab, it sounds like the most recent publication of the International Journal of Group Psychotherapy. That's right. Yeah, and then fantastic. Jordan will be at AGPA if you'd like to connect with him. But how else could people reach you if they'd like to um, connect with you more, or hear more about your work? I have a website uh, online. It's jordanpricetherapy.com. And I welcome contact and discussion. Send me an email or pick up the phone and call me. Leave me a message. I'll call you back. I would love to talk. i uh, love to engage anyone who wants to engage in this, in this discussion in this way. Excellent. Well, Jordan, uh, it is so uh, wonderful to get a chance to talk to a, a musician, a bow hunter, as well as a modern group analyst. And I uh, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.